This is Design School as a podcast for the growing designer. Those interested in design, starting their career in design, or looking for a reminder of why they went into design. In this episode, we talk with Minnie Bredo, executive director and co-founder of The Purpose Project. Through experiences at Frog, IDEO, IDEO.org, and teaching at various institutions, Bredo has focused her career on developing a practice of design for social impact. In our conversation, Minnie talks about ethical and social problems that designers should be considering, the value of reflection and documentation after completing a project, and the importance of a designer's motivation and inherent bias when working in new environments. Minnie Bredo, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We're so excited to have you. It is my pleasure. So we wanted to get our conversation started off by um, kind of going a little bit through your journey of how you discovered and found design. Um, So where did design first kind of enter your world and how did that happen? It very much depends on how you define design. Um, Mm. I was a weird little homeschooled kid, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Who grew up kind of with not a lot of structure to my day, and I was constantly drawn to anything in like the craft world or the art world. I think I mm-hmm. drew pictures. I probably first discovered what design is more in the classic sense when I was probably in high school. I was really into yearbook. Just loved that I was telling a story with something that felt creative. Um, so that was kind of for me a big op- moment that kind of opened my eyes to I think we were using PageMaker at the time if you all remember that and so for my senior project in high school I created a magazine to highlight some of the artwork and some of the stories and the poetry and the really interesting creative work going on in our school and it just kind of launched me into this space of saying I know I can do this somehow for mm-hmm. a living The final part of that saga is in college, I ran into the University of Washington. I ran into some really incredible faculty, Annabelle Gould and Karen Chang, and they convinced me to come into the world of design formally. And that kind of kicked it off, and I don't think I've looked back since. So after getting some formal training then, what was your experience in school? And then how did and Mm -hmm. did that not prepare you for what you decided to do afterwards? So college was a lot more structured than I expected. Mm -hmm. Um, Both of my parents were college dropouts. My dad is a musician and my mom's a clothing designer. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know or I think at times really appreciate the structure that was inherent to taking classes at these times and deadlines and deliverables. I think that was both a blessing and a curse in some ways. I think the challenge, of course, being that I just wanted to make what I wanted to make and I didn't want to have to time it with the class I was taking. Mm. But I think it also helped me create some rigor and structure around it that I formerly hadn't obviously had. What I liked in particular about the program at University of Washington is all of the faculty members are also design practitioners. Mm -hmm. And so I think I was a sophomore or a junior, and one of my instructors, Christine Matthews, brought me in to work on a project with her. And And I think that was one of the most valuable experiences I had, interestingly enough, was what happened outside the classroom. The skills learned, of course, in the classroom setting were great. 
But being able to see somebody that I looked at as a mentor, it was her first year teaching too. So it was a really special, I think, year for both of us. And watch her work was absolutely, I think, foundational in me saying, I one day want to be like this woman. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that, for me, I've always been a very social creature and learning to see folks I admire doing work that I hope to do one day was one of the, the most valuable things I got out of that program. So then coming out, what did you do? Great question. So I wish I had some cool uh, story of how I struggled and I, you know, did this, you know, all these odd jobs until I finally found my path. I worked hard. I'm not going to discredit the work I did, but I was also in the right place at the right time. Yeah. So this is funny. It sort of dates me like the iPhone just came out. So mm -hmm. this is 2007 and we were designing for the iPhone and it was so exciting. I think this was 2008 or nine. So just mm -hmm. a year or two after yeah. gave a presentation about how maybe digital technology could enable community resource sharing. We designed this um, app that we shared and it was a bit of a competition and our team won. So we got to go share it at Microsoft and someone from a company, Frog Design, which was in Seattle at the time, saw me speak and mm -hmm. asked me to send them their portfolio uh, I built it in a weekend, yeah. <laughs> sent it over. Like any good student, that's right? Yeah. That's what you do. And at the yeah. time, like things like Squarespace and WordPress weren't a big deal. We didn't have, Squarespace mm -hmm. didn't exist. Yeah. So I found a friend of mine in the engineering program and I was like, can you build me this? I promise. I, I think I gave him some like logo designs in exchange and um, sent it in. And they had me come in for an interview a couple weeks later. And then I think I was hired by March. So yeah. it was kind of this funky, weird um, kind of purgatory between March and June when I started where I was sort of in this odd transition of, okay, now we're getting started. Yeah. You know, I think what was really interesting about the transition was that it, it kind of forced me to almost instantly put together all of the things I had learned into kind of what do I want this to be going forward. I was hired as an interaction designer, which at the time was a very, very new type mm -hmm. of designer. But the quick kind of realization I had at Frog, um, I think I was 23 when I started. And, you know, by the time I was 25, I had a pretty good sense that I wanted to use design as a way to do something that was would create some type of social impact. Um, I think because I was a young energetic gal at the time. Uh, and they paired me with a team working on a global initiative to help think about how do we develop leadership skills with young women around uh, in, in a variety of countries. It was kind of a jackpot. I think I was 24 on this project. And mm -hmm. I flew around the, the world. I worked with young women um, between the ages of 14 and 18 and got to develop a toolkit to help build leadership skills and creative skills with young women. So I was all over, I was in Bangladesh and Ethiopia and Kenya and India. Yeah. I'm just a kid, I'm going, okay, well, this is kind of cool. So it kind of, I think that, you know, it was almost 10 years ago, it kind of launched me into this question of how can design and thinking about creating some type of, at the time I was calling it social good or social impact, now I, I think more about helping to elevate the voices of those who've historically not had a voice. It's a longer, less sexy title. But I, I asked myself back then, okay, I, I think I'd like to do this. How can I shape my career around something where design and societal impact come together mm -hmm. um, in a positive way? Wow, that's so amazing you're able to have the opportunity to do work like that at that point in your career. 
how did that shape the work that you wanted to do going forward? It's a great question. And now looking back on this project, I see all these things I did wrong. Like, oh man, <laughs> I could have done so so many things differently. Yeah. Um, so I look back on that work and, and I think what it did is it incited, it's so easy to frame it this way now, but if mm-hmm. I look back, I, I see it really incited a curiosity. I didn't know that I always thought of design as beautiful book covers right. and really sexy apps that you know have all these cool motion graphics. And I realized that design can be, you can design systems, you can design programs, you can design um, experiences and all of the things and experiences that live around us are, are all designed. And yeah. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, obviously. Yeah. So I think what I realized in that, I think it was about a year, it was from 20, 24, 25, um, th- I think it made me realize how much I didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, there was times when I'm this designer almost right out of school, you know, and I'm in Bangladesh and like, <laughs> You know, brand new culture, um, working with these young women, all of whom I think I had a really great connection with personally. But that's not always the, you know, that's not, it's not really my job to become friends. It's my job to create something meaningful. And, and I think at one point, one of the gals had come down with malaria. Excuse me. I was in Ethiopia. No, it was in Kenya. One of the gals had come down with malaria and I had to take her to the hospital. And I'm sitting there in the hospital going, what? is my job right now. You know, I didn't realize that this, and I wrote a piece about it. It was just more of a internal piece I shared with the, um, the frog design studio at the time and, and started asking a lot of questions. You know, what does ethics look like? Mm -hmm. What is, what is our role? When do we reach the limits of our role? Should we be everywhere all the time? You know, is there an element of our, our profession that's rooted in voyeurism? And is that a bad thing? Maybe I don't need to go abroad to do any of this work. But 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 I didn't have answers to any of these questions. Mm-hmm. I just started asking these questions on the this initial project. And so what was really, I think, for me helpful in then thinking about what do I want my career to look like is um, trying to solve problems that bringing a skill set to the table as a creative and making sure I was partnering with the right people to help me understand like the context. And that's one of the things we'll, I'm sure we'll chat more about, but I think design consulting, um, you know, we, we're not experts on every topic. Mm-hmm. We're, a, we have a skill set. Yeah. Um, I hope it, you know, I think one of, there's an article I, I, I've been uh, given to a lot of my students called the designer's bias. It's written by a friend of mine, one of my mentors at frog actually, um, David Sherwin, who I don't know if you all have, run across his work. He's he's great. And it's this great piece called The Designer's Bias. And some of the insights that came to me from this work was um, he says this this really interesting thing of a designer thinking that that everything can be solved with design is like a carpenter thinking everything can be solved with a hammer and a nail. Mm. And so there's a humble, there's a humility that came from that work. Yeah. And that I, again, I'm still working on, you know, mm-hmm. now I'm t- 10 years later, but um, it made me ask how can, what is our role and how can we create societal change, but while still acknowledging that we're one very, very small piece of a bigger puzzle. And where did that uh, insight uh, take you eventually? Tactically, uh, IDEO had reached out. IDEO knows how to like grab people when they're, you know, fresh. What what is IDEO for? Thank you. Um, IDEO and Frog Design are both design consulting firms. They've both been around for a long time, about 40 plus years. 
I think Frog is 50. I think IDEO is 40. They've been historically competitors of one another. Um, both of them have really an interesting kind of claim to fame. So IDEO was one of the first companies that designed the Apple Mouse, and they were involved in the early days of the Silicon Valley. And so now they're one of these, I guess, big global design consulting firms. And uh, I had aspired to work there when I was in college, so it was pretty wild that they reached out. And they reached out as about, I think, 25, 26, asked if I'd be interested in working. I was just finishing up this work on the um, uh, Girl Effect project, which was the one with, with young women. And I wrestled with it for a while. Lesson learned there for me was that just because someone wants you, you need to ask yourself, you know, do I want this mm-hmm. when you're young? <laughs> I didn't mean to stop you here, but did you say the girl effects? Yeah. I remember that campaign. You do? Yes. Oh, cool. That was the project. The animation and the, uh, I remember the visuals for it. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Wyden, so so we didn't do the visuals. Wyden and Kennedy did the visuals. Oh, okay. Wyden and Kennedy made that little viral video that yes. everybody watched. And then they hired mm-hmm. Frog Design where I worked to actually do the legwork around developing the programming for it. Okay. And that's what I was brought in to wow. help do. That was amazing. That whole project was Wow. It was pretty wild. Yeah. It really took me out of my comfort zone. I went up. Oh, but I think, again, I was this young gal mm-hmm. who they were like, she's bubbly and full of energy. Let's throw her in and, and use her as a way to help engage with these young women. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. kind of a near peer at that point, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, sorry. No. Back, back to idea. It's all good. Yeah. they. I don't know. They might have stumbled across the work I had done on that or maybe just found me randomly, but they reached out and then I kind of hemmed and hawed. I couldn't tell where, where I wanted to be. I really liked what I was doing, but I did like the idea of trying something new and being in San Francisco. So mm. I eventually said yes and came down here where we are now in San Francisco and kind of continued on that journey. I, I said up front, I want to work on this type of these types of projects. Yeah. And only now, uh, you know, looking back, I realize how important it is, especially in a big design firm with a lot of people who are super talented. You know, I one project I worked on there was a next to me was a, <laughs> a Harvard uh, someone who just finished getting their Harvard MBA, um, and had started two companies. And on the other side of me was uh, a literal rocket scientist who had landed the Mars rover, and me. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> perspective. (laughs) Amazing. What qualifies me to be on this project team? Um, (laughs) And so one thing I just said when I started is I've worked on, you know, at that point, a couple projects in this space of developing uh, social impact initiatives, and I'd like to keep doing that. And I was a broken record. I kept saying this again and again. And were they responsive to that? It or takes was it a, a challenge while. at times? Yeah. And then big cons- firm like that, to no fault of ideas, it just takes a bit to mm-hmm. kind of find your your spot. I think it took about a year yeah. before I really found my groove. Um, and then the great thing is in consulting, once you do one project and people see you, you do another, and then you just become known for it. Yeah. It so, uh, it, so. It, yeah. so I, I started to focus in on work with youth in particular. Um, I did everything from a reproductive health program, um, thinking about how young women can um, feel more comfortable accessing birth control because it's very scary and threatening. Think about your own experience when you're 15. It's not comfortable or designed all that well. To projects connected to thinking about how can we make college feel more um, engaging for first-generation college students um, and kind of everything in between. I got really lucky to work on such a broad um, spectrum of work. In 
to, to pause in that period since it seemed to be a very pivotal part of mm -hmm. your career so far. I'm curious how working in a space like that shaped your approach to design. Mm. Yeah, I must have worked on at least a dozen different teams yeah. in, in the span of time at some points more. Um, I think every project is a bit of a give and take. Yeah. I've always thought this is true for both you know, design work and also just, you know, I do a bunch of work now in education. It's, I think anywhere you go, there really shouldn't be one person who's telling everyone else what to do. And the more I became like a leader at the company and the more I was like supporting and managing teams and mm -hmm. um, helping, you know, bring in new business, um, it became even truer, in fact, in that it's not really the job of anyone on a team to be like, I have the answers, I'm here to lead. But instead, like every single person has a unique point of view and every yeah. person is bringing something really interesting to the conversation. And so what I realized over the, the years I was there is if I can create a space where everybody is able to let their own uh, set of skills, knowledge, perspective kind of shine, like it's actually going to be the best. It's going to not only feel good, like we're mm -hmm. going to feel happy and, and fulfilled, but um, it'll be so much better for the work. So. So that was a big thing and collaboration was inherent. You know, some introverts struggle because you're really in the weeds with folks working through some of these big systemic challenges. I think having been in consulting for, you know, almost a decade, I was so used to this kind of rapid cycle of doing a project and then doing another project and then doing another project. And eventually, whether it be through my own fatigue or through perhaps like lessons I learned, I realized I had to start capturing what I had learned on each project and putting it somewhere. So about three years in, I started doing this, uh, building myself a little repository for myself mm. of all of the things I had learned on that project. And for me, again, a lot of the work I do revolves around education and working with youth. So I would say, okay, here's some things I learned about um, what it means to destigmatize um, reproductive health. And here's something that's also important is a sense of belonging. And so I started building themes in some ways that then had insights, lesson learned, resources attached to it. And so that's been super helpful, I think, with specific to the consulting world because it's so easy to move from thing to thing yeah. and never really realize what the through line is. So that was a helpful thing I learned from trial and error, of course. <laughs> so you're doing uh, self-evaluations after each uh, like annual review that you do and perhaps after every project? Yeah, I mean, there's two there's two things to it. One is just like a team review. How'd that go? How did everything, um, you know, sit for the team? What did we learn? Where did we grow? But but what I'm sort of speaking to is a little bit more of my own personal, like knowledge building. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that when I finished a project, that learning that happened for me in the course of the experience stayed somewhere, mm -hmm. and could be continue to be built on, so that some of the bouncing around you do in consulting felt more consistent and felt like when I was being brought into projects, I could bring something more than just a, a cool set of design skills, but also some deep expertise around the content. And so that's something that I think I knew, and I think many design firms are doing a better job at being really focused on how are we like not just bouncing in and out as creatives, but actually bringing a skill set and a, a set of body of knowledge around that area. But that was something that you know was important to me and I think kind of was in some ways a hack so that I wouldn't forget yeah, because I have yeah. a bad memory. <laughs> well, in, in some ways, it, I mean, the first thing you were talking about, I was just like, oh, well, you know, we kind of always are taught to do this, but we're, do we're doing it in the 
the approach of like creating a portfolio, right? Mm -hmm. That one day it will get us somewhere. Mm -hmm. But in this sense, you're almost creating a portfolio of your own knowledge and learnings. Yeah. Uh, to, to document and archive like everything you've taken away from each one of these projects you've worked on, mm -hmm. not necessarily for the purpose of like, you know, sharing it out to others, but for your own kind of knowledge. which I would say is what every ideal teacher is hoping that the student is doing. <laughs> but speaking from yeah. the teacher's perspective, who does not do that himself, <laughs> I do not think I've ever met anyone that is more perfect than you. <laughs> uh, well, I should caveat. I have this weird existential feeling of like, you know, everything's going to disappear one day. I don't right. want it to all disappear. And so I think consulting tends to mess with the mind of someone who has a disposition like I do. So for me, it's been like a really, I think, almost a comfort to have something that helps me remember what I learned and why and how possibly it could be applicable on another project or another piece of work. And I found increasingly it, ha it has been one of those things that yeah, it really helps me, you know, it, it takes different forms. It, sometimes I just literally sit down and write down a Google Doc. Other times I make a little presentation. Other times it's just a post-its in a room. But um, but it's always good to have, I just feel like more confident in myself, I think. Like I'm not this blank slate coming into a new piece of work when I have a reminder of what that was. I don't know if that makes sense. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that kind of leads me to perhaps the next question sure. of, you're doing all these projects, you're learning all of these things, you're reevaluating re each time. Mm -hmm. Can you perhaps talk about how those processes have moved you towards other projects that perhaps you would not have done? Hmm. I guess maybe to answer that in a slightly different way, I think one of the biggest places it's helped me is with teaching. You know, when I started teaching um, three or four years ago, if I hadn't done this, it would have been so hard to sit down and go, what do what do I have to to share with my students? And by sitting down and having done these mini reflections throughout the course of my, you know, last five, six years, it was really helpful then to say, okay, here's some themes and some topics. You know, and in in some ways that some of these things are very thematic. So the topic of belonging comes up a lot in the work that I do. Like what does it mean to belong? What does it mean to feel like you're part of a community that supports you or the topic of experimentation and helping people take a step in a direction where they can like, you know, try something new? And what does it mean to encourage people to experiment or the topic of equity? Like how are designers building um, equitable practices? And so what's been helpful with regards to your question is by capturing my own reflections, I think it's helped me then talk about those and in fact have other people. I don't see teaching as me just saying, here's all this stuff I know, hope you enjoy, um, but rather giving folks an opportunity to build on that body of knowledge and saying, here's some questions I have. What do you all think about mm -hmm. this stuff? So it's been kind of a give and take in that way, I think. Do you find it uh, amicable that you give them, here's this body of knowledge that I know, are they challenging you or questioning you to to gain more uh, insight and then see how they have um, what they have done with that knowledge and come back to to add to your repository all the time yeah. you know i mean every student is different and um some folks are uh, more i think 
it takes a while for them to open up and to ask questions or to, to sort of share their perspective. Others come in real hot, you know, like they, mm-hmm. they have a strong opinion and want to be a provocateur. Like they want to kind of, you know, <laughs> sure you both can relate being teachers as well. So, um, you know, and I think at first I felt sometimes challenged and a little frustrated that um, that I was being challenged. It, it's still tough. You know, if a student's like, that's not right, you're wrong. Like, okay. So I think increasingly I've tried less and less to say, here are the facts or here's what you need to know. And here are the questions that I'm working on, it, almost inviting those perspectives. And yeah, all the time. I mean, I have some students who, you know, work in the healthcare industry and they talk about, we went, when we think about ethics and design, one of my students was like, well, you know, doctors take a Hippocratic oath but designers don't take anything like that. And we're literally designing the world around us. Yeah. Well, architects take or have a set of principles as well. Yeah. And we don't, yeah. guys. Oh, we that's a hot topic cannot. right there. That, I mean, <laughs> how many decades now have we been talking about that? Right. They don't want to feel mm-hmm. controlled. And I think that's the tricky thing with the creative craft or an industry that we've all selected, which is rooted in creativity. You know, if you ask an artist, to take a Hippocratic oath, they'd be like, no way. Like I, art is to provoke. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it also goes to talk about maybe we're feeling an increased responsibility in design as mm-hmm. design has gained a higher place in the world. Yeah. Or more the respect we've yeah. been wanting me. And also in the fact that like design's reach is expanding beyond mm-hmm. just the traditional f- physical form artifact. It's going into all these areas of, less concrete things. I don't know what your thoughts are around that. It is. It feels, I don't know if you all feel this way, but it feels like slightly over a decade ago was I looking at beautiful typography and posters and books and going, wow, like this makes me feel great. This will be the sum of my career. Uh, Now we're in this fuzzy place where, you know, companies Again, here in the Bay Area, like their claim to fame is they're a design-led company, right? Like no longer engineers, like the ones running the show. It's like designers, and and it and it's in many ways I think thrust us into the spotlight. And I didn't go to school for this. Like I wasn't trained to talk about the role that we play in society. And so, yeah, to you, to, to both of your questions, I think understanding the role that we play again, creativity and and thinking about things in new ways is incredibly valuable. I wouldn't keep getting up in the morning as a designer if I didn't believe that. But I do think asking, are we looking to serve our own ego? Do we want to add another notch in our belt and say, you know, we worked with this client or we had this, or are we really truly looking to actually affect? systemic change because in which case it's probably us that's not at the center of that we may be a set of hands we may be somebody that's there to um, enable or teach or bring one very specific set of tools but but we're most likely not the person that's standing on the podium going let me announce to you this new and improved experience right there's probably a lot of people that know the space better than we do so so, you know, it's, it's been on my mind a lot these last couple years, especially with kind of these bigger questions around equity and privilege and what does that mean? And so I think, anyway, I could go on and on. But I think that to your question about what does it look like to be designing things that are not living physically in the world, but our systems or our experiences, we have to ask, like, well, why, why are we doing it? And what is what do we hope to achieve? Yeah. Where you are in your journey today. Uh, about two years ago, I did probably the scariest thing I've ever done in my career. 
and said to IDEO, I have gained so much from my time here and I wonder what it would be like for me to do this in a way that I see a need. The need was that a lot of the clients I was working with, um, you know, were foundations or were nonprofits and they wanted the design talent or at least somebody who was leading that project to stick around, to stay and, and support the team mm-hmm. after the work was over. And it's really tricky to do that when you're in a consulting um, agency. And in addition, I was just curious. As I mentioned earlier, I didn't ever take a breath. I didn't take a year after school and go do a thing. You know, I was like thrown in and moving pretty fast. So I realized that uh, I would never know what it was to do that unless I took a risk and just tried. Much to my surprise, bless the heart of the folks that work at IDEO, they were like, you know what? We support you. And in fact, if you're comfortable, we'd love to have you stay on as an advisor for one of these projects that I had actually been leading for about two years at that point. So it really felt like a win-win. I got super lucky. I know it's not that normal, but I went out on my own and started independently consulting. Um, The anchor point for the work I did, I had two requirements for the kind of work I wanted to take on. One was that I wanted it to be something connected to social impact and specifically education and youth, which had been the area I'd been focused on for a long time. And I wanted to make sure that whoever I was partnering with wasn't just having me come in drop an idea and then and then leave. I wanted to figure out ways that I could co-design and co-collaborate with my clients. It was, um, in all honesty, I think took on a little too much, but it was such a great learning experience. Like I got to work on projects, incredible projects. I got to work on a juvenile justice project that lasted a year where I was thinking about how can we redesign what it feels like for young um, young adults, specifically 18 through 21, when they exit um, custody, who've been system involved, to not just learn the law, because right now the programming is such that they're, you know, in probation and they have to learn the law, but actually like learn their rights, because so rarely did they see their role in it. They're just butting up against a system that they feel has been against them. So it was super cool. Like I set up a, um, with a team. I had a few folks I was, I was with. Um, we set up a program where we got to go in custody and um, the kids, the youth, were really the ones doing the design. We were just there and kind of bringing in a series of questions. And then every week I would go home, like work my little fingers to the bone. My team also would be there and we would bring something back and like, okay, what is it? How does this feel? Eh, it's good, but you know, you could fix it here. Okay, okay, let's try again. Okay, go back here. How's this feel? And th- we did this like 12 different times. Like it was a pretty cool process to mimic. And at the end of the day, I said to every one of the youth I worked with, there was probably about 25 youth at that point that we'd collaborated with, you know, you're the designer, you're my client. I'm, I got a set of skills that I went to school for, but like you're, you're the ones designing this. And, um, and we partnered with an incredible the organization, if anyone's interested, is called Fresh Lifelines for Youth. Um, they're based out of San, San Jose. And uh, so this is the kind of work I got to do. And one of the many projects I was able to to support was this um, program called the Purpose Project, which was what I was uh, doing out of IDEO. And what's been interesting about that as a project is that it's focused on developing 21st century skills in youth and thinking about how do we build skills like empathy and creativity and storytelling and community impact. 
And so in some ways, I mentioned already how I had this laundry list of things I'm learning. Every time I learned something new, since I was running this program, I would just channel it right on into the Purpose Project. <laughs> and so it was a really weird slash unique model to, to mimic for, for, for last year. That's amazing. That <laughs> yeah. is so amazing. <laughs> it's a bit hard to explain. It's kind of a mouthful, but... Um, it was really cool to have a place that was almost a little bit like my own little research incubator, mm -hmm. again, with an incredible team to say, all right, um, what are we, what did we learned about? Like, again, belonging on this project. Let's, let's add it in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you've talked a lot about kind of designing in the space for social impact and design, design for good, I'm making air quotes there that can be a really sensitive space to operate in. Mm -hmm. And you've talked a lot about motivation being a really big one, but what are other kind of special considerations that you feel are needed to really operate responsibly in that space? This is, uh, how much time do we have? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. No, um, this is, I think, a conversation happening in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. And so I have, you know, one lens, which is the right. first thing I was going to talk about, which is bias, um, which I'll try to share a couple things that I think are interesting resources and tools and know that this is a big, a big one, right? Mm -hmm. And we're, we're working on this all, I think, together as a community. Yeah. The first thing that I always encourage folks to think about is, is to understand bias. I don't know how embedded it is in the world of, of, of certain design schools, but I know it's one of the things I spend a lot of time working on with my students is understanding bias, it comes into play not only working in like, you know, with the folks that we're looking to serve, but also, you know, on a design team. We are playing God in some ways, right? We're designing things. We're behind the curtain and we're putting a thing out in the world. And so when you're looking at the research you're doing and you're synthesizing it, there's inherently a bias in what you choose to make and why mm -hmm. you choose to make it. And so it's not expected that you're going to remove all bias. In fact, it's darn near impossible to do that, but to be really conscious of our biases and where those come from. Um, we're, we're, when we insert ourselves into a new environment, we're inherently changing that environment. And so knowing what we're bringing with us is one thing. I, I really always want to stress that designers think about it, and anyone really, but I think designers in particular. A couple other things that have just helped me a lot, and I, I would encourage folks to look into, um, Historically, with the process of human-centered design, which is kind of a big part of IDEO and FROG and a lot of design firms, the first phase is research and going in and understanding the world of the folks we're, we're looking to design for. Um, but to that story I mentioned about, you know, there's a you know young woman with who has malaria and now mm -hmm. I'm in the hospital, even though I thought I was a designer, <laughs> um, I wasn't prepared to manage or support um, a traumatic experience. Yeah. I didn't have a single tool in my toolbox at that point. I just mm -hmm. did my best based on intuition. And since then I've done a lot of um, classes on trauma-informed care. And I think the big aspect of research that I feel like we may have been getting wrong for quite some time is that it's a win. If we go in and bring people to tears and get a really emotional story from them, actually we might be re-triggering something that's really not our place to, to do. Right. And so understanding what purpose is that serving? Mm -hmm. What are we trying to achieve by going in and, and talking with people? Is there other ways we can be doing our research than just sitting in someone's home and asking them these super personal questions? Can we be looking more to, to learn um, from 
you know, there's all this interesting sort of work being done with sort of data and understanding what does data tell us? And we can learn a lot, you know, look at OkCupid. There's all kinds of interesting data and nobody's mm -hmm. having to, to do anything dramatic in order for us to learn about these interesting algorithms um, that support a personal um, part of one's life. So I think understanding how we can be super conscious in our research to not insert ourselves and disrupt and do more harm than good. Um, I could go on, but I think the last one I'll sort of speak to, which has been really helpful for me is, um, you know, we've talked about co-design for a long time. You know, I think the term co-design speaks to this idea of collaborating with our mm -hmm. end user to design something. Um, I've tried my best to take it one step further and not just co-design, but actually like build capacity, which effectively means like, how am I teaching the skills I'm using while I go through my process? Mm -hmm. So when I look at working with in this many cases, young people, um, my hope is that they walk away with a set of skills and a set of tools. So I learn better how I can make an experience that's going to bring them value. And they learn, oh, I can also do this. This is not so special that I'm not allowed to be involved. And um, that's really the big shift I've had in the past, I'd say, you know, five, 10 years is I'm not just going to insert myself and solve all the problems. There's no way I can. But what I can do is bring a new set of tools and hope that that does bring value to the environment I'm working with or the community that I'm, I'm trying to serve. So many of the last thing that we uh, like to conclude with are some recommendations from our guest. Uh, if you're up for it, we've got a couple of uh, recommendations we typically are asking this season. Yeah. Sure. So I always selfishly ask for a good reading. So is there anything that a book or an article or even audiobook, if you listen, that you've read or listened to lately that you felt was uh, made an impact on you that maybe hasn't gotten enough play yet or should be more widely consumed? It's not a book, but it is a framework and a toolkit that I think mm. is really interesting. I'm not sure if y'all have heard of Antoinette Carroll. She founded an organization called Creative Reaction Lab, which was in response oh, to- yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've heard of them. Yeah. They um, was in response to all of the challenges associated with you know, all these young black men being shot and how mm. is design responding. Um, and she created this, she and her team created this really great resource called um, the Equity- design toolkit. And it has all of these really interesting lenses that designers can start thinking about, like history and trauma mm -hmm. that we just don't think about. So whenever folks are starting to look into this space, I always recommend that as a really great tool. Yeah. She's, a, she's a wonderful kind of thought leader in this space. Awesome. Thank mm -hmm. you. Um, my recommendation that I'm asking people, we are here in San Francisco mm -hmm. uh, for the season. What would be a recommendation of a place that is culturally significant or uh, inspiring or something could be design related, uh, what have you, that you would say we should see? Man, well, there's a couple of things. Um, I am a nature person. I always get my kind of, I, we're in my home in the woods right now. No, I get a lot of my uh, sort of inspiration from going back into nature. So the Presidio has this pretty cool walk, actually. This Presidio is kind of this old, it was an old, um, like a bunch of barracks from the war, and it's since been turned into this sort of green space. And there's this neat walk that connects four Andy Goldsworthy 
um, installations. He's a sculpture artist who takes natural found materials, and it's, I think, a three or four mile walk. And at each corner, you can see one of these really interesting installations. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah it's Thank fun. You. Yeah. You're welcome. Over the years, you've traveled a lot, both for work and outside of work, I imagine. What is, in your mind, one of the best travel destinations to broaden your perspective? Great question. And yes, I'm almost having to scan through all the different places. Um, can I give you two? Of course. All right. Um, well, one is the place I teach in the summers. So I know it well and I go to Copenhagen a lot. I think Denmark is historically a very design-centered place. It's mm -hmm. a really interesting place um, just to kind of get inspired if you're kind of a quintessential designer and, and looking at the Scandinavian world of Scandinavian design. It's also interesting because it's relatively homogenous and mm -hmm. there's a lot of systems right now being done in, in Scandinavia to think about how to create a more inclusive culture. So I think there's a nice tension that is being talked about, which is great. And it's also just lovely to see what the history has afforded. The other place that I think is kind of a wild place to be, but pretty cool if you're a designer is, um, you know, India is a pretty wild spot. It's a very um, sense, if you've all been, it's a super stimulating to the senses, sound, sight, touch, everywhere you go, it's very stimulating. But I think it's an environment where we in the U.S. often are so, you know, we're, we don't give ourselves enough space to kind of really use the senses mm -hmm. as a foundation for design. And I think when I was there, I was constantly being inspired by kind of the every sense being so, so, so stimulated all the time. So two very different countries, but I have found um, a new way of thinking from both of these places. That's wonderful. Awesome. And finally, I am coming back from sabbatical this year, and I'm thinking of all the things that I want my students to do. Uh, a recommendation of how I can get my students to do more. You, you seem to have just like have all these things. How do I get them to do more of things? That is a great question. One of the things that I've been working pretty hard to, to both reflect on my own journey and also to speak with students about that I work on, work with is actually asking them how to slow down. I think historically we have been on this crazy, I don't know, this is design school is the name of this podcast. Design school for me was a whirlwind. Mm -hmm. I remember late nights. I remember fearing, feeling foggy, uh, you know, all about the output, always all about the output. And the reflection that I've now had after, you know, a few years of, of kind of looking back on this time and, and also working with students now is um, I think we actually have to ask young people, especially young designers, to take a step back and ask, you know, what is this in service of and where am I pointed? We're conditioned to think we need a portfolio at the end of school and we need something to show for our work. But actually, a lot of the learning that happens is inherent and inherently um, within. And so giving your students or any students space to reflect, move slowly, understand a methodology and a process, I think is the uh, the tricky way of answering your question. No, by all means. I, I, I appreciate that. I think seeing how you have done it mm -hmm. is perhaps uh, I need to rethink my, my own methodology of it. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> well, Minnie, thank you so much for sitting down and uh, chatting with us. I'm so glad we were able to reconnect after several years. Yeah. It was an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you both for coming to my little home in the woods and having a conversation. Um, good luck. And you guys, it's great to talk with you as well. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. 
This is Design School is recorded in the field where design happens. The music for This is Design School is composed and recorded by Michael R. Clark. You can find Michael online at musiclabtacoma.com. For additional information about each of our episodes, visit thisisdesign.school. We'd love to hear what you like, what you don't like, and what you want to hear on the show. Follow the podcast on Twitter at TIDS Podcast or join the Facebook page. Also, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and share us with your designer friends. Stay safe, stay healthy, and bye for now. <laughs>